My name is Peter Davison. I played the Fifth Doctor, and you're listening to the Five-ish Fangirls. All the way to episode 372 of the Five Ish Fangirls podcast. And it was 55 years ago this week that Sergeant Pepper got the band to play. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Five Ish Fangirls podcast. So glad you joined us. Let's start off fucking doer for the virtual table and see who's joined us this week. This is Brittany Belvedere. This is Chrissy in Salt Lake City. This is Holly from Wisconsin. And this is Rachel in Indianapolis, Indiana. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hey, everybody. I hope everyone survived us not having a show up for you last week. <laughs> Barely. Did you have fun, Rachel? I had some fun. <laughs> I, well, as, as far as seeing Neil Gaiman talk, that part was really fun. I can't say so much about the people helping run the show. <laughs> ah, one of those. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I got there like a couple of minutes after the doors open. Mm-hmm. I got in, had to go through metal detector because unfortunately that's a world we live in. Um, mm-hmm. My sunglasses set off the metal detector. <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah so that's okay whatever um apparently i'm not the first one even the guy the security person was like do you have sunglasses or glasses in your bag i'm like yeah i've got sunglasses he's like okay you're fine Uh, (laughs) (laughs) touchy um Uh and they were um they weren't letting people go to their seats yet so there's a lot of people milling around uh, they had concessions open, uh, so some people were buying snacks and drinks, um, and they were setting up the tables where they were going to be selling books. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they had a big section of books that Neil uh, was or had just finished autographing like that day like he said he gets mm-hmm. to the venue and he just sits down and autographs books for like several hours uh so they are fresh <laughs> when they go out to the sales table and then there's also a section of non-signed books uh and a little bit of like most of his major stuff so there were copies of sandman of course uh, ocean at the end of the line uh smoke and mirrors good omens you know american gods and the like and they had signs up that said books will be sold after the show okay uh-huh. fine yeah i guess that makes sure that people get through you know people aren't stuck waiting to buy stuff as the show starts right which makes sense and which usually Usually, like any kind of author event, I know when we've had them at the library, we're like, okay, yeah, they do their presentation, and then afterward, they sign and do meet and greet, and it's just kind of the way things go. Yeah. So I'm. Well, he I'm wasn't. Assuming... He wasn't doing any sort of like meet and greet or signing. Well, or yeah, but you know, stuff is on sale yeah. afterward. Yeah, that was my point. Um, <clears throat> yes. Um. So, um, I go find my seat. Show starts. Great, fabulous. Neil is amazing. 
um they had a uh uh at the like kind of information booth thing when you first walk into the venue they had piles of scraps of paper and golf golf pencils (laughs) (laughs) they're like write your you know write a question for mr gaming here and then we put them all in a basket that they gave to him and he would just pick some at random to answer during the show in between his readings so he was bouncing back and forth between answering questions and reading stuff um which uh i can't remember a lot of the questions because there was several questions from people that were like aspiring authors or current authors you know Mm -hmm. asking questions about writing which i'm not so it was like but still it's interesting to hear um he is so one of my favorite uh, little stories that he told to someone's question because somebody asked about working with terry pratchett and he said he was like well one of my favorite memories besides getting phone calls from terry where terry just you know he had answered the phone and terry would be on the other line saying what do you think about this as an idea you know (laughs) (laughs) um but he said that um when they were they had to go and read through one of the early you know editions of good omens to edit um he and terry were sitting reading you know the copy of it you know looking you know doing edits and the like and uh neil was all like you know i read something and it made me laugh out loud um or or terry read something and it made him laugh out loud and he's like oh that's a good line and neil would like look over his shoulder and be like i didn't write that and terry be like i didn't write that either (laughs) then who did <laughs> and Neil was like at that point we were convinced that the book was writing itself <laughs> <So>. <laughs> doctor yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so that that was pretty funny um he read one of my favorite short stories um that's in smoke and mirrors i believe um it's called chivalry it's about a uh geriatric like you know 80 something year old uh widowed lady who buys the holy grail at a thrift shop nice wow <laughs> yeah love and, it and and shenanigans ensue so <laughs> it's a fabulous story i love it um so uh but yeah no it was totally cool uh but um as neil was doing his thing um occasionally i would see you know because i was up in the balcony uh off to the Mm -hmm. side so i could see like almost the entire crowd except for the people right behind me um turns Mm -hmm. out one of my best friends was actually sitting several sections behind me and i had no idea (laughs) until (laughs) after i saw her pictures on facebook i'm like "Ah, i was there too um but um and i confirmed this with some other people that i was talking to after they started selling books during the show. Oh, that's of waiting. Because those who wanted to have didn't have a chance to. Right. Oh, yeah. oh dear. Yeah. So and I all, all thought the about ones for half. Oh, yeah. 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 Then I thought about getting up for like half a second just to go see because i'd see uh you know a person get up 
and you know obviously people you know if they, they need to get up and go to the bathroom nature's going to call unfortunately when nature's going to call sometimes so you can't help right it. um or you know you get a emergency phone call you're like oh you know this person normally doesn't call it like emergency i need to get up um <clears throat> so there can be reasons people might get up in the middle of a performance uh, except people will get up leave and then come back a few minutes later with a shopping bag that obviously had books in it that they did not have when they got up and left their seat several minutes before um so yeah that was kind of annoying so all the pre-assigned books were pretty much gone by the time the show was actually over because i didn't want to get to leave well no right i didn't want to miss anything neil said right for right. one thing and two, it's rude well it's <laughs> yeah. like okay you put the sign up saying we'll sell books after the event sell books after don't. the event yeah oh. so when i got a an e- i got a post show email from the venue like please tell us about your experience seeing neil oh. game and i'm like i'm gonna tell you about my experience it's <laughs> like, oh, okay, you want feedback buckle. i give you feedback yeah <laughs> buckle up buckle up yeah and then somebody posted <laughs> the same thing about it in the neil gaiman reddit because uh, mm-hmm. they were at the same show and i was like yeah it was at the exact same show and i had the same experience as you and i let them know in the in the uh, feedback email and they were like oh thank you for reminding me about that email i'm gonna do the same thing <laughs> like you're welcome <laughs> yeah because i'm sure i mean it's probably not just you know neil gaiman because whenever they do when whenever authors do a thing they have you know local people running running mm-hmm. the event or you know the bookseller whoever it is they do it through um so yeah they need to know for not for for the next time an author comes through and does a thing and it's like look if you know you're gonna not sell stuff before the event stick to it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i would be very annoyed especially yeah. if i'd be like oh i want to get an autograph copy yeah and no yeah so that kind of sucked but uh i and really by the time i i got up to the table because the crowd control after the Mm -hmm. fact was also sucky um so um by the time i got to the table pretty much everything was gone even the not signed stuff i literally got the last like noveliz- novelization copy of American Gods. <laughs> so uh, uh, that was on the table. So I'm like, nobody's grabbing that. I'm going to take that, please. And thank you. So, <laughs> so now I can actually sit down and read American Gods. I've done the audiobook, but now I can actually sit down and read it. So, but anyway, so besides that kerfuffle i had a fabulous time watching neil gaiman speak pretty awesome he is a fabulous speaker fabulous storyteller um and i could have sat there and watched him talk for hours and hours and hours and hours so so. that was my experience seeing this neil gaiman and the few pictures that i took i did post on our facebook so if anyone wants to 
look at those. I didn't take too many because it's like, how many exciting pictures can you take of somebody standing at a podium? True. So. True. It's more about right. being there, listening to to what to what he's saying. I will give I will give the people that that other than when he first came out and people had out their phones to get pictures because you know pictures or didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, after mm-hmm. that initial excitement and he got into speaking, phones were down. Awesome. Good. That's good. So, yeah, I will give the audience that. So, any hoozles, we need to do the <laughs> news. Thankfully, there wasn't too much that piled up while we were off. So, although we need to start with some, not necessarily 10 o'clock news, <laughs> kind of, but it's not a person. Um, it's a community, I guess. Um, so if you remember last year, right, that we had Kieran um talking about the fandom running club and all the amazing things they yes. do, he made us cry talking about band-aids. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go listen to that episode, have Kleenex handy. Um they um have been in litigation with warner brothers for a while because of them having a harry potter themed one of the running clubs is Uh, is harry potter themed and uh this is this is warner brothers has nothing to do with jk rowling and her estate this is strictly warner brothers yeah well and and warner brothers with all the upheaval there they are like trying to tighten everything down and like look that harry potter makes us money and a lot of other stuff just isn't making us money. So we got to, you know, lock this down exactly. pretty, pretty hard. So, because exactly. I mean, Discovery bought them out. But let's just, you know, sink, let that sink in. But never mind that. That's neither here yeah. nor there. That's a side yeah. tangent. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So they've been in litigation with, with the Warner Brothers for a while. Um, and they have finally reached a settlement um that they cannot talk about because that's what happens when you do settlements as mm-hmm. ndas just across the board irregardless of who or, or what yeah. it may be about that's just the way settlements are um but based on their announcement i guess we can assume that part of the settlement between them and warner brothers was the agreement to close the harry potter specific running club um and stop manufacturing metals using imagery that obviously is very recognizable to harry potter fans and selling t-shirts and the like um uh, pretty much everything that's copywritten from warner brothers essentially um which you know sucks for all the harry you know the people specifically that had joined the the harry potter um fandom stuff um you know you could join your they had uh specific clubs for the different houses um and the like uh but the potterhead as they called it uh club was also one of their tent poles and therefore a big money maker for this organization which they're a not-for-profit so you know 
money is important, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially for it, for profits. Yeah, still got to um, still got to pay the bills somehow. Right, and losing that tent pole essentially, and losing that income essentially means that the entire fan fanthropy mm-hmm. thing is going under, essentially. So they are they will finish up the announced events the ones that are already out there have names have medals you know designed and in production for mm-hmm. um but it's pro- essentially probably by about the end of the summer all of the running clubs not just the potter but the Hoovian one and then just the fandom one which covers all sorts of things like supernatural my mm-hmm. really awesome bob ross medal that i got you know mm-hmm. I, all yeah all of those are going to have to close down pretty much anything that's mm-hmm. connected to anything copy written has to yep. close um so um they're hoping that they can maybe continue doing something with the charitable aspect that's i guess not you know infringing on anybody's copyright but it it's not looking very promising at the moment unfortunately so um any medals from previous events that they didn't sell out of that they still have in stock they're going to put out uh for sale um any super rare medals that they have where there's maybe only you know one or two left um they're actually going to put up for auction um, smart move and yeah, yeah and you know presumably that that money will go to some charitable organization of the of their choosing that they, they'll support because mm-hmm. um, it changes with each event which charity that they're supporting and they could be supporting mm-hmm. multiple charities at once if there's multiple events going on um so um but yeah that sucks yeah and it's <laughs> it, it mm-hmm. really sucks to see and I, a, I an wonder, organization that's doing so much good yeah. to have to mm-hmm. fold it to mm-hmm. corporate blah 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 yeah well and i wonder because so many uh you know entertainment companies are feeling the pinch and there's just so much going on and so much upheaval i'm like because you know there's everything from fan art to videos to you know music and this is not a new thing where you know Mm -hmm. corporations have said like oh you're using our copyright even if it's you know a 10 year old making a website in their bedroom um this has happened before and and actually with harry potter like the first you know from the beginning um Mm -hmm. that that, you know the 10 year old making a website in in i can't remember if the kid was 10 or not but it was a kid making a Side and Warner Brothers sent him a cease and desist cease letter and, and yeah. yeah so that's I, don't I can't know. remember even if Leaky Cauldron back in the day ran into Leaky Cauldron did I, I do remember that's I do remember I, that yeah. um and they actually were the one one of uh, one of the ones fighting it so mm-hmm. that was a thing um so yeah I think I mean for so many years we've just kind of they've just kind of let it be because they're like oh this is a bad look um and I mean, mm-hmm. this isn't the greatest look either, where it's a charitable organization uh, doing this. But I'm sure, you know, the lawyers got in there and they're like, well, hey, you know, what's this? And, you know, they're, we're, you know, hemorrhaging money and we need to 
you know, crack down on, on stuff like this. So I kind of get the feeling, you know, for, for good or ill and you know, it's, it's too bad. Cause you know, Fantropy did a lot of good, a lot of good with their, mm-hmm. with their work, but I, it, it sucks. It sucks on so many levels. I can also see why it's happening and just with everything going on and with all these, these studios, and these companies, just like realizing that whatever is going on, that they're, they've got to tighten it up or, or there will be no anything. So I'm not saying mm-hmm. I agree with it because I think it's kind of a, a, a kind of a douchey move, but I can mm-hmm. see why it's happening. So I don't know, maybe, maybe somebody in, in discovery will like, get their head on straight and be like wait a minute but we'll see we goofed yeah Mia Culpa, what can we do to, you know. what can we do to help you yeah so i i yeah i wonder if it is just the 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 guys in this from discovery that bought out warner are just like oh what is this and harry potter actually makes this money as opposed to mm-hmm. a lot of other things that don't but should um so yeah, I can I can see why it happened. I hate that it happened because I do like Fantropy and those medals mm-hmm. are so mm-hmm. cool. And it's mm-hmm. just a yes, you know, it's a good a good deal all around. But uh, the, the 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 times are a changing. Let's just say that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, guys. Yeah. 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 Uh, I got a few medals last year. And I was actually here. just thinking that okay, I'm gonna start getting some more as soon. And then I, um, I saw that post on Facebook. I'm like, no, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I'm a little worried because it, I mean, maybe with libraries it's not such a big deal, but we do a lot of Harry Potter themed programs at the library. And right. Like, yeah. I just saw one. I just saw an email about one we do in in the summer. And I'm just like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm sure it just comes down to how are you using the IP? If you're making right. direct right. money using mm-hmm. someone else's property, I mean, yeah. I mean, I I totally get that. You know, I've mm-hmm. I've I've you know obviously doing things like shirts and stuff that are in our merch. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a few designs where they've come back and be like, sorry, you know, this is, this is copywritten. There's been yeah. a couple where they're like, sorry, this is copywritten. And I'm like, where is this copywritten? You know, mm-hmm. like yeah. I'm not using anything. It's like, this is an original design. Could be copywritten. And it's like, but it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, if you're trying to make money off of someone else's thing. Mm-hmm yeah that's not but I, I i feel like there should business. be some wiggle room for a non-profit charitable organization you would think you would yeah. think but yeah. that gets i don't know but yeah it kind of makes me wonder like places like t fury and and things like that like what's gonna happen with you guys yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. or t public yeah or t public or you know all those etsy stores that sell stickers mm-hmm. and fan art and stuff like yeah. that so yep yeah, yeah. Well, unfortunate. That's unfortunate, but ah, so mm-hmm. sorry, guys. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to uh, the happier news, including, uh, you know, PopCon at this rate, uh, as we're recording this, is next week. <laughs> um, and we're still, they're still making guest announcements, which is exciting. So, 
Um, and for all our Orville Rachel, do you have your country, comfy shoes ready? <laughs> yeah, really. Um, it's also uh, coming back next week. Yes. That too. Yeah. 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 Uh, mm-hmm. So we're going to have t- now two members of the Orville crew as Jay Lee, who plays Lieutenant John Lamar, is nice. going to be joining nice. us at PopCon. So very exciting. All right. Um, and uh, in trailer news we have got our first trailer for she-hulk officially (laughs) titled she-hulk attorney at law which i love that (laughs) Uh, we've got our first glimpse of tatiana mosley as bruce banner's cousin (laughs) yeah uh, i know that the um internet has been um kind of up in arms since the trailer dropped because there's a lot of people complaining it's like oh the cgi it looks so bad and i'm like first of all it's not coming out till august they've got plenty right. of time to to tweak. clean up this yeah to tweak the cgi second of all and this is not my theory this is a theory i read from someone else but it's probably a good theory is this trailer was probably not the trailer that they wanted to release. Because yeah, didn't at Disney this have point, their, they had their upfronts? The, because the release date got leaked on one of the European Disney Plus sites. Mm. Whoopsie. Well, they Disney oh, did have right. their upfronts last week or the week before. I'm yeah. Something but, like that. Yeah, so they needed something to show to the advertisers. So I don't know that this was specifically for Matt's public consumption public, yeah. but it got out there anyway although we're okay we're it's end of may they have till august to polish it up so we'll yes. see what happens but um, i'm sure it will yeah. be fine yeah because so, i was yeah. I, I i was watching i'm just like ooh, that cgi is looking a little janky so yeah this is not like the, the, this is yeah. It's not like this is the first trailer in the entire world of everything, not just Marvel, but anything mm-hmm. where CGI has not necessarily looked its best. And but then by the time the actual thing comes out, it's like, oh, this is fine. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The the or one, holy the one cow, that I, what an improvement! <laughs> yeah, the yeah. one, the one shot I I was just like, because I wasn't too worried about you know where she they just show her and she's you know doing her thing and you know Mm -hmm. she's green and she's tall it was the one at the very end where she picks the guy up and is like you know bridal carrying him oh yeah and i'm like i can so Mm -hmm. tell that guy was on wires yeah (laughs) with her i'm like okay yeah you better clean that one up but yeah yeah so that that was that was a thing but you know we like you said got several months they can hopefully clean it they'll fix it it in post yeah (laughs) fix it in post so Uh. I expect it to be fine. So mm. the whole the whole character's always been one of those where most of the time, at least since we've got Mark Ruffalo playing Bruce Banner and the you know slash the Hulk, where when he's hulked out, it's like I would say nine times out of ten 
it looks pretty good but even in the big you know multi you know hundreds of million dollars mcu movies there's been the few instances where i'm like yeah this isn't quite one motion captures not quite there what (laughs) one person was saying that like okay when he's the great big monster hulk you know, you can kind of hide some of the if there is yeah, because he's flailing blood. around yeah. and throwing and he, you know, stuff. He's, he's supposed to look monstrous, but then you you know put him as Professor Hulk, and he just looks like like a giant green guy, and that's yeah. sometimes it doesn't quite come off, and that's you know what you're seeing with She Hulk because she yeah. has a milder form of the Hulk. Yes, whatever um, Hulk condition, I guess is what they call it. Um, yes so so she still she looks like basically it's like she looks like gamora at seven foot or what yes. she, or that's what she's supposed to look like yeah but gamora and the hulk had a baby <laughs> <laughs> it would be yeah. jennifer <laughs> yep i guess so except she's his cousin but <laughs> yeah i said family tree wise that doesn't make sense but you know what i mean as far yes, as like no. looks <laughs> yeah no i i understand but yeah yeah but uh, yeah i'm kind of looking at some like okay you did gamora and she looks great i mean just you know clean it up a bit yeah yeah we'll, we'll get there yes yep but i think it looks fun though which is it does yeah we've we've been very serious recently with mc related stuff so i think this will be a nice bit of i mean obviously there's still seriousness to it but a bit of levity in it too so because mm-hmm. a lot of the avengers being an avenger kind of is their job or their mm-hmm. non-avenger job is still somewhat related to yeah. being a superhero like tony stark obviously he went from being a weapons manufacturer to being just kind of a genius billionaire playboy philanthropist. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he was bankrolling the Avengers, really. Yeah. Uh, so mm-hmm. it got to be his toy box to create new and exciting things and gadgets and stuff for his fellow Avengers. You know, obviously, you know, we got people who work for S.H.I.E.L.D., but that's still kind of being a superhero. Jennifer is a lawyer. Yep. You know. Although I do like the idea of her being, yeah, like she's a closer superhero. to Matt Murdock yeah. than you know mm-hmm. one of the Avengers. Yeah. So I, I, I do like her being the idea of her being you know a lawyer for superheroes because y- you know you because I mean Incredibles kind of did it um, yes in there but it's you know superheroes cause a lot of damage mm-hmm. and, and someone's got it you know someone's got to deal with all the claims and the lawsuits that inevitably mm-hmm. pop up so you know so i i kind of like the idea of you know there's a superhero legal division yeah so we'll see we'll see what they do with that yeah all right um and then People absolutely <laughs> losing their <laughs> mind. Thanks, BBC. Mm-hmm. Is they really should put a little at they should really should put a little asterisk 
on this headline because they're back. David Tennant and Catherine Tate returned to Doctor Who. But if you know Big Finish, you could be all oh, the Big Finish fans are going to be like, well, yeah, they've been reunited in Big Finish. Now, this is for TV. They're filming right now. You can yes. go see pictures. Yeah. David's in the pinstripes. He's got the hair. Donna, even Wilf. Yeah, yes. so Wilf. has been spotted on set. The Wilf is going to be back too. So this is going to be part of the. Well, we don't know exactly what this is going to be part of. <laughs> RTD <laughs> has hinted it's going to be part of the 60th ish, possibly, but he's being very coy about how exactly this is going to fit. And so he said, they're back. And it looks impossible. First, we announced a new doctor, and then an old doctor, along with the wonderful Donna. What on earth is happening? Maybe this is a missing story, or a parallel world, or a dream, or a trick, or a flashback. The only thing I can confirm is going to be spectacular as two of our greatest stars reunite for the battle of a lifetime. Okay, then. Thank you, Russell T. Davies, for clearing that up. <laughs> Saying a whole lot of something and a whole lot of nothing. He does that really well. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> just does. something we have to do as, as showrunners. Yes. Yeah. But, but yeah, the, they've been out filming outside. So obviously people from distances with Zoom have been taking pictures and you can see them running around doing their thing. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, but yeah, it will be interesting to see how where this fits in as far as continuity. So, especially considering David's doctor's wearing a new suit that's not so much pinstripe but checkered. Mm-hmm. Um, if yeah, you got a good look at it, so you still got the spiky hair. Um, oh yes, of course. Oh, I'm big. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah he's wearing the blue yeah blue version of the janice joplin coat so who knows who knows and uh, you know remember, this is this is neither here nor there I, I, of... what um no okay <laughs> I'm gonna say, and I, I, I doubt it's neither here nor there, but Catherine Tate has lost a significant amount of weight since she played Donna as well. So, but that you don't necessarily need to explain, eh, just, I guess. Yeah, they'll well, just be like Donna, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> nothing mm-hmm. more needed. Nobody's said. gonna care, really, because uh, yeah. it's Doctor and Donna together. So, oh. and Will. <laughs> So. Yes. Yeah. I was so happy when they with that that photo. I'm like, yay! <laughs> yeah. A good reason to go back to season four. Mm-hmm. Not that I need an excuse. That's a, right. Probably one of my all-time favorite seasons. Right. Yeah. So, but uh, I guess we'll wait and see whenever they decide to air this. So, 
Mm-hmm. It's, if it's for if it's for the 60th, that's until next year. Why would they be filming something this far in advance for next year? Who Unless knows? this is just the only time that David and Catherine and Bernard were available. So yeah, could that be. that could be possible. They just kind of keep it in keep it on ice until they need to start. <laughs> but who knows uh yeah yeah anyway either way i'm excited at some point Mm -hmm. in the next you know 18 ish months or so we're gonna see the doctor and donna together on tv so (laughs) yes so all right that is it for Zen news. Of course, if you're subscribed to our sibling show Gold Zanda, the Oscars podcast, you know that we have a new episode mm-hmm. in the feeds with our 50th Academy Award winning movie, in this case, Annie Hall, which we have lots of fun tearing apart. <laughs> why so, am i not surprised chauncey chauncey asked me the other day because i was going into it i was like you know i was like oh you know i've got my list of movies the besides the winner that i should watch to have round out the year and i was like and now you can finally show me this you know the, the movie that you, i know you've been dying for me to first see for years because Smokey and the Bandit was also released that year. <laughs> <laughs> and then he asked me the other night, he's like, did you ever watch Smokey and the Bandit? And I'm like, no. And he's like, why not? I was like, well, I ran out of time. And he's like, but you said you were going to watch it. I was like, because eh, it really doesn't matter because I know what movie should have won that year. <laughs> and I know it's not Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> he's like, what is that? I'm like, Star Wars, you numb nut. <laughs> what was his response to that he's like oh yeah you're right uh... <laughs> <But> smoky <laughs> it's like no offense to smoking the bandit but uh star wars should have won that year yes. spoiler alert for that segment of gold standard but uh, it's 1977 mm-hmm. yes you know yes. really it, people's brains should not movies in 1977 star wars there you go yeah, exactly <laughs> that was a yeah when you say yeah that's the first thing that comes to mind mm-hmm. <laughs> well you know the academies are always had their head up a <clears throat> certain unpleasant <laughs> place <laughs> yep <laughs> yep uh-huh. yeah sorry people who are fans of annie hall but she's right you know <laughs> not my cup of tea yeah well, there is that oh, all right moving on to feedback we've got some feedback from shalane uh she says first let's start with avatar 2 <laughs> i'm not a fan of the film yeah she's not she's like i'm not a fan of the film i'm assuming she means the first avatar oh. soon second one has to come out yet so the franchise she's like i'm only a fan of the music the style and the colors of pandora which me too that's why i like the world of pandora at disney she says i do want to visit pandora in animal kingdom you should it's beautiful 
especially if you can <clears throat> go visit during the day and then go back after it gets nighttime and stuff starts to glow. It's really cool. Wow. <sighs> um, so now let's talk about Moon Knight. I really enjoyed this series and I'm gonna rewatch it to understand more. Yeah, it was a little, there's a lot to keep track of there with the different personalities and the gods and the stuff and the different costumes. Uh, so but she did, she also loved Tauret, our hippo goddess, <laughs> favorite as well. Um, she said, and she asked, so there's not going to be a season two of Moon Knight? As far as we know, no, that he will appear in the films. So, and yes, then she poses a... the question. Would you rather be an avatar in Moon Knight or in Avatar The Last Airbender? Last Airbender. Because I know get... nothing about Avatar The Last Airbender, so <laughs> you you get to control the elements and you get to, you know, you know, you're bas you're basically saving the world and Moon Knight, uh, you you're you uh yeah, you have a personality disorder. <laughs> Not necessarily. Layla does end up with a personality disorder and she gets to be someone's avatar. So also, but also the avatar, the, the last airbender. And she gets universe. to be Tom Red's avatar. So, you know. <laughs> they have they have penguin sledding. <laughs> well, I do like penguins. That would be what you bring up, the penguin sledding. <laughs> of course. Well, they because brought it up in like what, episode two? <laughs> of that show i think yeah i just know that there's the elements and people can control them but that's all i know about avatar the last airbender i know Ooh. about moon knight and the mcu so oh okay it's it's part of the mcu and i want to be part of the mcu so i'm gonna go with moon knight okay <laughs> but you should be, you should if watch I can take avatar over for Layla and be Red's avatar even better because she's awesome <laughs> You should watch Avatar The Last Airbender. I know you've got a lot on your plate. So do I. I'm just, I'm yeah. just saying. It's, it is I quite it excellent. Is. I mean, Korra, eh, it's fine. But Avatar is so good. Yeah. It's on the list. It's not very high up on the list, but it's on the list. So. Everything is on the list. Everything is on the list. Right? If I had to choose, if somebody was like, quick, pick one, I'd be like, MCU. So, yeah. Fair enough. But that's me. But interesting question, Shalane. Anything that gets you thinking. Yeah. Exactly. I do love how she left out um the other avatar yeah the, the, the blue the blue people one yeah we, we don't care about them. Belly. yeah we don't <laughs> care yeah. about them we we just want to go to disney world and, and see pandora that's it yep mm -hmm. yeah. that's as close as i went to that world of avatars so mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah anyway yep all right so moving on to this week's main topic we're going back into classic rock and roll 
with the, and I wasn't, I wasn't exaggerating. It is 55 years ago, later this week, as we're recording this, mm -hmm. that Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the, by many considered the best Beatles record, if not one of the greatest records of all time, was released to the peoples and has been spinning on people's record players and CD players and on their Pandoras and other music apps as well. Whatever uh, your chosen venue Your of... hard drive is spinning. I <laughs> So now most people mm -hmm. have solid state. So your hard drive is and you know, just imagine it's spinning. The the uh, the, mm -hmm. the bits and bytes are moving around. Spin in a circle, that. so something mm -hmm. is spinning. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> Point is people have been listening to it for uh, fifty five uh, years. Yes. <laughs> Coming this, I, did, I was going to say a very long time, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to inadvertently insult somebody and remind people how old they are. Because yeah, I don't like that either. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, Sarge Pepper on the hot cup band. So this is an interesting time for the Beatles mm -hmm. um, because ending 1965 going into 1966 the Beatles you know since Beatlemania had hit not just England and Europe but then the US in you know 63-64 um they had been pretty much touring nonstop <laughs> all over the place. And to put it bluntly, the Fab Four were really freaking tired. Uh-huh. They needed a break. They were burnt out. And instead of maybe some other artists maybe being like, okay, I need to stop touring for a while. You know, go work on personal projects, you know, maybe, you know, if they're in a relationship and they want to have kids, it's like, oh, you know, be a parent, that sort of thing. Uh, maybe take up painting, right? Learn to ride a horse, learn how to scuba dive, something that's not touring and performing in front of a bunch of screaming people. Um, the Beatles are like, you know, we could take a break. Or, you know, we could just stop touring altogether and never tour ever again. They decided to go with option B, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> Which, unfortunately, led a lot of people to think maybe the band was going to break up. Obviously, we know that's not the case. Um, they did take a extended break, though, which was good for all four of them. This is when George went to India for the first time, really started getting into... Um, learning about meditation and you know Hinduism and learning Indian musical instruments. Ringo had his first child with his wife, so he got to be a stay-at-home dad for a while. Um, you know, the guys just kind of went off and did their their own thing for a while, 
and then came back together in in this you know when they're like okay you know let's work on a new album and um there are depending on what resource you go by the impetus for this album has several different origin stories Mm -hmm. um generally it's paul's idea that's generally the the agreed upon that it was paul's idea where exactly paul got the idea from the story changes depending on again what resource you're looking at and what year it comes from um the most recent i do air quotes story i've heard out of paul's mouth is from an interview that he did on the howard stern show five years ago for the 50th anniversary of the album and he says he was on a plane and um one of their staff members that was with him on the plane asked him to pass the salt and pepper because they were on a flight where Mm -hmm. they were getting served food and paul misheard him and thought he said sergeant pepper and paul's like you know that's that's a really interesting name (laughs) for something you know just kind of tucked in the back of his head so like i said there's several other different stories out there the idea to you know kind of poke fun at like the crazy like roadside carnivals that sometimes have like super weird names you know like you know mr fantastico's world of oddities and you know whatever mm-hmm. um so um yeah there's a lot of stories of the impetus but it's generally you know agreed upon that it was paul's idea for this album and the idea of them hey let's make an album as an alter ego band Mm -hmm. you know because obviously Mm -hmm. we're the beatles people expect a certain sound from the beatles although they had been pushing things a little bit with rubber soul and revolver um but not to this point um and paul was like you know if we just pretend that we're a different band and therefore doesn't have the expectations that come with the Beatles name, we can do whatever the hell we want. And the other guys are like, yeah, that might work. Sure. Let's give it a shot. So Paul like really took the reins on this, on this album. Um, and, you know, it lit a fire under him. He, he was very, very excited to work on this um as we as we get into it <laughs> we will uh find out that wasn't necessarily the case for the other three guys uh there's some ups and downs <laughs> with the south <laughs> um but um so but uh yeah so they get they had this idea um to to do this album and um yeah they did because they knew they weren't going to tour anymore they're like you know we can really play around with technology and different types of instruments use a you know 
or actual live orchestra, you know, strings and brass. And, you know, George is like, I want to bring in a, you know, actual Indian music players. And I'm like, sure, why not bring them in, play the sitars and all the things. And, you know, we want pipe organs and animal sounds and all these crazy things. It's stuff that you could not do on stage. Uh, at the time because the technology did not exist so like we really can do whatever the hell we want because we're not going to have to replicate this in a live performance because we're not going to be performing live in front of mm -hmm. people um so um they're like great meanwhile bright epstein and george martin are in the corner going ugh <laughs> yeah <laughs> for mm -hmm. different reasons you know because <laughs> uh, this was this was uh, this was a changing time for kind of rock music in general tastes were changing you know people were experimenting things um this album by a lot of people is considered one of the first quote-unquote concept albums where uh before you know an artist would just put together uh, a record with a handful of songs you know some fast ones some slow ones some happy ones some sad ones that didn't necessarily tell a cohesive story per se you know and they they were just really singles you know we'd have our a side and we have our b side and hey the song's gone to number one good job um time to do a new one here's you know 10 songs print you know copy print repeat um mm -hmm. and um but then the beach boys released pet sounds which yep. according to some the pet sounds was a response to revolver mm -hmm um there's some argument in there um yeah but uh paul heard pet sounds he was like this is amazing you know i mm -hmm. this is nobody's done anything like this before we should do something like this um mm -hmm. so there was this perceived competition between now the beach boys and the beatles but they never mm -hmm. really saw it that way mm -mm. uh that was outside people being like oh they're competing against each other trying to make conflict where in the pot. actually yeah where there actually yeah. isn't any conflict um um no and then there was some if, other if anything it sounds like they're uh they're inspiring each other to do yeah. yes it's it, like it mutual inspiration than competition yeah which mutual you know you admiration can't, club you, yeah you can't you no, there, no one loses here <laughs> everyone yeah, wins. exactly <laughs> if it or if it nudges you to do and put out better stuff yay <laughs> we are here for it exactly you know it's win-win mm -hmm. um oh it, this album did do very well you know it it sold two hundred fifty thousand copies within the first week in the uk entered the charts at number one um hit five hundred thousand within the first month and one million by 1973 
not bad. In the U.S., advanced sales were 1 million, and within the first three months, more than 2.5 million copies were sold. Um, it stayed the top spot in the Billboard album chart for 15 weeks, stayed in the top 100 for 85 weeks. So, not bad. Interesting enough, though, this album has no number one singles. While the album itself went to number one, none of the songs are number ones. So if you have a copy of the Beatles' number one album, which is just all of their songs that hit number one, there are no songs from this album on there because none of them hit number one. There's a little bit of trivia for you. <laughs> um the album took 700 hours working hours to record at a cost of seventy-five thousand dollars, which was a lot in the 1960s um and a lot of it was due to the fact that um they had to spend a lot of time figuring out the arrangement for songs before they ever hit record because at the time four tracks was what you could do on a single recording machine so nowadays it's all digital uh, so if you're going to do a modern mm -hmm. recording studio now you see all the sliders and stuff and everything goes into a computer so as long as you've got enough you know hard drive space on your computer uh most programs you know audio recording software you can do dozens of tracks in a single song you know essentially um so you know you can have your bass on one track your drums on another your lead vocals on another your backing vocals on another your harmonizations on another tambourine you can have Things like tambourine can have their own track if you want. You couldn't do that in the 60s. You had four tracks. So they'd have mm -hmm. to figure out how to record things like, you know, Ringo's drums and maybe John doing backing vocals on another track, uh, figuring where he goes, comes in and out for that, and maybe uh, bass on another and... I don't know, you know, keyboards on another, record those, rewind it all back, and essentially record on top of it. But the technology, because it's tape, you can record on top, but as mm -hmm. you're not necessarily erasing what was there, you're recording and adding it to the tape. But if somebody screwed up like their entrance or exit or hit a wrong note, mm -hmm. it was a wash. You had to go all the yep. way back and start over again. And the more instruments you have included, obviously, the more complicated that gets. Mm -hmm. So, because it's like, oh, four tracks, four Beatles. How hard could it be? Well, it wasn't just the four guys. Most of these songs have <laughs> at least one or two, like, session instruments, you know, mm -hmm. people playing the Players, other instruments. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, in some cases, like, you know, we'll talk about Day in the Life, the very last track. It's got... <laughs> A 44 yeah. piece orchestra. So, uh -huh. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. 
so um uh yeah so technology wise they were stretching the limits of what was available you know in in this in this time period um so it, it took it took a lot of time um and yeah the other the other thing besides this being you know considered a concept album where it's supposed to have this kind of cohesive story throughout is the cover art um for the the album was also breaking new grounds um instead of just having a shot of like you just your band members and their heads which is the case for several of the early Beatles albums, you know, Rubber Soul, it's like, yeah, you know, them looking from above kind of disordered. Yeah. You know. It wasn't until we got to like Revolver where it was like, you know, this drawing type thing um, where they deviated beyond just, hey, look, here are the faces of the people of the album you're about to buy with your harder money at the record shop. Um, but um because they were making this album as this fictional alternative persona band you know sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band they wanted art to go with it um and again paul being the creative guy that he is um you know had this idea of what he thought it should look so i have obviously i'm gonna have stuff linked in the show notes from youtube videos and um the like and some articles um but i'm also going to be referencing from a book um called beetle songs which this book is kind of old the copyright's 1989 <laughs> so um the not necessarily the most up-to-date uh you know because obviously as the living members of the band have continued to do interviews and stuff gets pulled out of the archives like you know <laughs> thank you peter jackson uh stuff gets pulled out into out into the open that's never been seen before um you know things will change so this some of this stuff in here may be either incorrect or out of date you know as as people have told newer stories since then um but it's it's so funny because this book um by um william j dowling is the textbook that i used when i took a beatles course as an undergrad in college oh nice at some point along the way i lost my copy of my textbook mm -hmm. which had all my highlighting and notes written in it but it just uh -huh. so happens that my mom was at a yard sale uh -huh. in the last few weeks came across this book took a picture sent it to me and she's like would you like this yes please and i'm like well it's beatles related so duh but second of all i had a copy of this book like over 10 years ago 
lost my copy that had all my notes in it because we were mm-hmm. I knew I was going to keep the book uh so right. I had no problem writing and, and highlighting stuff in it um so I'm sitting here like reading this book and now adding highlights again in my own notes and hopefully I will not lose this copy <laughs> so yeah <laughs> but it's broken up by it's in chronological order so uh all the albums are in release order and then singles are peppered in there because sometimes they would release singles um that weren't necessarily going to be on an album like uh strawberry fields and penny lane were both recorded before they recorded this album and ended up not going on this album uh so but anyway so so a lot of the stuff I'm going to be referencing is actually from this book. Um, cool. And there's lots of quotes in here, not just from the Fab Four and George Martin and Brian Epstein, but a lot of people that knew them or worked with them or whatever. So um, this um, quote is from Peter Blake, who helped stage the cover photo. Um, so he says, quote, Paul explained that the concept was like a band you might see in a park. So the cover shot could be a photograph of them as though they were a town band finishing a concert in a park, playing on a bandstand with a municipal flower bed next to it with a crowd of people around them. I think my main contribution was to decide that if we made the crowd a certain way, the people in it could be anybody. Um, and essentially, they just asked the guys um or the guys decided it should be a whole bunch of people that they know or people they admired even if they don't know them personally so they made this huge list of essentially people the beatles like um some got nixed right off the bat like gandhi um and hitler can you guess which Beatles suggested hitler mm. sarcastic twit um that that like to ruffle people's feathers every now and then you know who you are i think i know and (laughs) he started in a i think he started a war movie to boot yeah (laughs) or or cameoed in a war movie yeah (laughs) i think he knew that hitler was never actually gonna fly but john being john Mm. was like oh yeah let me write down hitler as the suggestion uh let's poke the bear a little uh, bit here yes get a rise (laughs) Uh, <laughs> I mean that in the nicest way. I will not speak it. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but EMI uh, and with this great big grin on his face, tabooed. I could just yeah. see it. Yeah, guess who picked yeah. that title? <laughs> yeah. So EMI, their label insisted that they if the person was still alive reach out to them if the person was passed reach out to their estate and try and get permission to use the the person's likeness so that they would not be sued <laughs> so mm-hmm. um and who got and who got the lovely tax task to do that uh and, and brian epstein's personal assistant wendy moger <laughs> <laughs> oh boy got the lovely job to try to do that so uh she says uh, <laughs> she says in Beatles songs quote he brian epstein asked me to try to get legal clearance from everybody within a week 
EMI wasn't very keen on the cover, but Paul wanted to do it. It was an incredible job. I spent many hours and pounds, money, uh, Mm -hmm. paying for long distance phone calls, essentially, on the telephone to the United States. Some people agreed to it. Others wouldn't. Fred Astaire was very sweet about it. But Shirley Temple wanted to hear the record first. I got on famously with Marlon Brando. Uh, Mae West refused to be pictured asking, why would I be doing, what would I be doing in a Lonely Hearts Club band? (laughs) Which is such a Mae West Uh thing. (laughs) Except you have to do it in a Mae West voice. What would I be doing in a Lonely Hearts Club band? You know. Uh Uh (laughs) She agreed only after all four Beatles wrote to her saying how much they wanted her on the cover <laughs> leo gorsey quick <laughs> yeah leo gorsey of the bowery boys was the only one to decline being pictured and asked for a fee which emi refused he was deleted uh, about half the famous faces couldn't be found to gain their permission but the album cover was printed as planned <laughs> so. brian epstein was convinced that they were going to get sued uh for using for using all these uh figures so um but i mean they did it so yeah and and you can look at it and you can there are um you know legend uh not legends i guess legend uh out there where you can people made references you know like numbered so you're like this person's this one. some of them are obviously very recognizable like marlon brando um especially considering this is 1966 so this is like on the waterfront marlon brando uh or streetcar named <laughs> desired marlon brando uh not godfather marlon brando <laughs> so um uh, uh bob dylan yeah, some very recognizable faces in there. Some are very like very UK specific actors and celebrities that unless you're in the UK, you probably wouldn't recognize them. So, but yeah, like I said, you can find references out there that people have labeled all of them. So um although the album cover did not help with the at this point, uh infamous i'm gonna go with infamous paul is dead rumor yes slash urban legend uh (laughs) there are several things in in, on the on the cover that make people think that there are things alluding to the fact that paul mccartney was dead and had been replaced (laughs) at this point (laughs) So, Paul is not dead. He's very much alive. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see him next week. So, <laughs> um, I have an interesting story though about that though. So, um, so and what's really interesting, and I think something that maybe isn't as well known as um while the album obviously the cover iconic is if you were lucky enough um 
because I don't think this lasted the entire time that the album was being produced and released is at least in the early releases of it you obviously you have the album <laughs> and the record um but also in the inside was a little I think it was like a little envelope that contained a set of cardboard cutouts kind of like what you get for like a paper doll so there was a mm -hmm. mustache sergeant stripes and two badges so you could dress yourself up with these paper cutouts these cardboard cutouts um a picture card and a cardboard stand-up of the beatles in their sergeant pepper regalia and then the oh. inner record sleeve the paper bit that when you okay kids records <laughs> most of the time we're not just sitting in the cardboard they had this paper sleeve that also went over it to help keep it from getting scratched because if a record scratches it doesn't play the same mm -hmm. but the early early printings of the album the the paper sleeve was not just the generic like white or brown whatever plain paper it was actually a kind of psychedelic not tie-dye per se but just kind of like a wash of like reds and pinks um it's believed that this was the first time a pop record had something other than just the plain regular inner sleeve but they discontinued it um after really early pressings so if you can find a copy of sergeant pepper first of all with the little cardboard cutout bits preferably intact um but even not with the colored sleeve you've got yourself a unicorn of collectibles hmm. i've only ever i've seen someone on i don't know if it was american antiques roadshow or british antiques roadshow but someone came in um this was years ago that had it with the little cardboard cutout thingies but i don't believe they have the colored mm -hmm. sleeve and even that was worth quite a bit um because that stuff is the stuff gets lost easily and damaged easily uh -huh. so yeah you know the unicorn of beetles collectibles would be sergeant pepper with all of that intact uh so good luck with that kids have fun uh -huh. um the other unique thing was this was the first time that song lyrics were printed in full on an album at least on a major pop release there may be some independents out there but like a major band record release this was the first time that lyrics have been printed so they were just breaking all sorts of bound you know <laughs> like no one's ever done mm -hmm. this before we'll do it sure why not um <laughs> uh, so, um <clears throat> um so 
Um, let's get on to the album and the songs themselves, starting with the eponymous opening tune, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which was written by Paul. Um, and you know sets the the vibe for the entire rest of the the album essentially this whole idea was that um you get the you know the the opening you know audience chatting and the orchestra warming up and then it you know goes into this heavy guitar and you've got paul singing about you know how you know, we're going to have this perform this 20th anniversary performance of this, you know, this band and, you know, we hope you enjoy it and all these, you know, fun things. Uh, uh, and the whole idea is from there on out, you're kind of, you can kind of close your eyes and pretend that you're in the audience watching this, this band, this, you know, this band called Sgt. Pepper lonely heart school band and doing their sit you know watching a concert from beginning to end um so which is why it kind of goes in from that to flowing immediately into with a little help from my friends um which written by mccartney and lennon obviously sung by ringo star i've always amused um with this song uh because um you know ringo does this one in in concert if you see him um mm -hmm. we were talking about that in chat actually so <laughs> so i only got to say ringo once at this point um and he's on, he's on tour again this summer but he's not coming anywhere near me uh ringo you hurt my heart um that's okay i'll catch you maybe in the fall um <laughs> and um but in the okay there's there's a, a a few things i find funny um because the end of the opening song you know sergeant pepper and paul singing you know about you know let me introduce to you the one and only billy shears first of all billy shears which is a name that they just made up but in some circles, the people that believe the whole Paul is dead thing, some people think that that's the name, possible name of the person who replaced Paul. Ooh. Okay. In some not, circles. Not, not there are some, other circles. Not, there, yeah, there are other circles that have other names. There's all sorts of different names yeah. for people who supposedly replaced Paul when he died in a car accident in 1966. Paul is not dead. Uh, <laughs> it's not the weirdest conspiracy theory I've heard. Yeah. So no. it, it's it's funny enough that, you know, they, they're like the one and only Billy Shears, which supposedly Billy Shears is who replaced Paul, but it's Ringo singing. So therefore, mm -hmm. as far as the album is concerned, Billy Shears is Ringo's alternate persona's name. Uh-huh. As a member of the Lonely Hearts Club band. In the cartoon movie Yellow Submarine, which I'm wearing my shirt, my yellow submarine shirt that I got at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um in the movie, they sing in part of the movie, they sing Sgt. Pepper with 
the actual Sergeant Pepper's band because the Beatles are themselves in the movie and then they go to Pepperland. We're gonna have to talk about Yellow Submarine at some point. Yes, uh, we are. It's <laughs> yes, one of my favorite movies of all time. But they go to Pepperland and there's a, already a quartet band there that looks kind of like the Beatles, but different facial hair type of things. They're actually Sergeant Pepper's Old New York's club bands. Um so they kind of it's a very meta thing where the Beatles meet their alternate personas um their alter egos their alter egos <laughs> their alter egos are their own people walking and talking and singing so but they sing the song paul singing it let me introduce to you the one and only billy shears it goes into with a little help from my friends but in the cartoon it's john that starts That's singing right. it but it's ringo's right. voice Huh. It's the it's the cartoon character of John that starts singing, but they're still using the audio from this track, so that it's still Ringo singing voice, which I just thought was weird. I was like, that's obviously Ringo singing. Why are they? Why did they animate it, John, being Billy Shears? I, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> it's just one of those things that stuck with me all these years. Uh, I'll probably never get a clear answer. It's probably just one of those things where, I don't know, the animators were like, whatever. Because uh, really, the Beatles did not have a lot of say in the Yellow Submarine cartoon because it's not them playing themselves. They're using voice actors that sound like them. And then they just use the Beatles music for the singing so we get the actual Beatles voices for the songs but not the speaking but then the Beatles actually appear as themselves in live as themselves at the very end of the movie anyway it's a weird movie it's kind of a trip um but mm -hmm. I love it <laughs> yep. uh, if I have my choice of magical mystery tour yellow submarine yellow submarine all the way yes We will be talking about Magical Mystery Tour though later this year. Because oh. <laughs> oh, I, I, I know we will. It also got yep, released I know in '67. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew we would get all the way through the Beatles movies at some point in our yes <laughs> in well, our journey. We'll talk about the album, but we can always talk about the the, the movie too. Um, no, uh, and then obviously, if you're of a certain age, um. And depending on how well you did or did not know your music lore, um, the first version of With a Help from My Friends that you may have heard is the Joe Cocker version if you watched The Wonder yes. Years as a kid. Mm -hmm. so. Yep. Uh huh. <laughs> I have learned not to get burned by that one on Song Pop if there's a if there's a certain stretch to silence and with a little help from my friends or Joel Cocker is one of the choices I punch that yeah because <laughs> it starts out quiet and then all of a sudden hello <laughs> yeah. um, and then next up is not about drugs <laughs> despite what the acronym may say otherwise yes <laughs> Lucy Don't in the sky with a little kid. Yes. I mean, if it had been about this is drugs, my all-time favorite Beatles songs when I was little. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it had been about drugs, 
John would have copped to it being about drugs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. He's copped everything else. So, <laughs> yes. Seriously. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's like, it's so funny that people are like, ooh, there's all these conspiracies behind it. And it's like, they would have said something if that was the case. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, John was very uh honest <laughs> about mm-hmm. like everything yeah. so mm-hmm. yeah oh wow uh, yeah no Man this, was, this is words. truly based on a drawing that little julian drew in fact a friend of the family's actually was there that day and corroborated john's story um so not that LSD was not a thing because John was quite a fan of tripping acid at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't but, until so- they were act- actually recording this this album that Paul actually tried acid for the first time. But oh, by gosh. this point, John was a fan. So <laughs> sometimes, guys, the curtains are just blue. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Although, although though the, the the one thing i associate this song with because i just i don't know why i just remember this video from from my uh, biology class it must have been yeah as a junior uh they talk they're talking about you know the the origins of of humans and there's that um that's that uh skeleton they call her lucy because they were listening to the yeah. song when yes. they when they yes. discovered it and i'm like oh it's lucy mm-hmm. So that's what they decided to name her or she yeah the, it's like the the neanderthal i can't remember what exactly it is don't quote me on that but there's a, a yeah a, an ancestor of humanity that they discovered yes. and her name's lucy three million mm-hmm. year old yep. yes, skeleton discovered in 1974 mm-hmm. um and apparently the the when they discovered her they threw a party and they played Mm-hmm. this song yeah <laughs> at the party so yep uh and i i like the name if if i uh mm-hmm. if i had another daughter yeah. i probably would have named her lucy but yeah mm-hmm. yeah it, it's it's inspired by that and also inspired by like alice in wonderland which oh well yeah mm-hmm. obviously yeah. has very weird trippy Oh, elements yeah. to it as well so mm-hmm. that's another you can, story you can you can be yeah. imaginative with your brain and visualizations without any mm-hmm. recreation influence yeah influence. Yes. yeah yep. <laughs> so <laughs> so um oh and then of course elton john yes recorded oh. his own version in yep. 1974 which also went to, and, to number one for him and another certain beetle had a cameo in that one too mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um and then next up is uh getting better which is the mccartney lemon uh-huh. um penned song um and uh this one they did really quick like paul got the idea while walking his dog martha (laughs) (laughs) who gets her own song on the white album yes martha my love yep yeah it's like give me a second i'll get the right album Uh (laughs) (laughs) hey they got quite a few of 
them and sometimes they blend <laughs> yes yeah um and um so they got to the the studio worked on it for like 12 hours with a quick break for a meal um and then got george and Ringo in on it and recorded it the next night so it was a quick turnaround um on this one um so um uh all the um all the lines about it's getting better you know all the positive affirmation type mm -hmm. lines are all paul the bits about <laughs> i used to be cruel and beat my woman that's john oh kind of figured <laughs> surprise surprise <laughs> So, like I said, John brutally honest. So, if Lucy and the Sky with Diamonds was about drugs, he would have copped to it being about drugs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there was, yeah. there's no hiding that those those tidbits. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. In 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 the the interview John did with Playboy, um, not long before he died, um, he even said, "I used I used to be cruel to my woman and physically any woman. I was a hitter. I couldn't express myself, and I hit." So, and of course, you know we we we've talked a lot about yeah. John's personal issues when we mm -hmm. did our deep mm -hmm. dive on John. So, yeah, <clears throat> yep. you can go back and listen to that um, mm -hmm. if you want. Um, so. Um, and then let's see, next up, one of my favorite songs. The last time I saw Paul live, he did the song and I was very excited. I think I was probably the only person in the audience that was as excited as I was about this particular song. It's such a Which silly, it's such it? a silly, obviously Paul McCartney pen song, 100%. Uh, but I, for some reason, I just really love the song, Fixing a Hole. Yes. <laughs> Mm -hmm. i agree I mean, with you it's exactly what it sounds like it is literally about fixing a hole yep like this old house uh-huh you know again people try to make it so make it oh it's about drugs it's a holes in a heroin user's arm or something uh, like, no paul was like i was fixing a hole on a fence mm -hmm. at my house and got the idea for this tune so sometimes the critics of it they love to read too much into this stuff yes yeah. this is this is a kind this it's the kind of um interpretation that that uh drives authors crazy and makes them hate english professors and you know music, uh -huh. crit music critics as well yep mm -hmm. It's like guys, they weren't this wasn't Kurt Cobain and they weren't trying to hide anything and they weren't trying to be subversive and you know hide secret messages in the lyrics. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like sometimes it they're just <laughs> the silly songs. Are, the curtains are just blue exactly. sometimes, guys. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep sometimes they're just goofy so mm -hmm. <laughs> that's that's sometimes what paul did some paul just was like yeah. he would come up with these the, either lyrics or a tune and be like this is not i just like the way this sounds <laughs> there you go um so um even you know paul was like i like that one <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, mm-hmm. years later, he's like, I like that one. I like and it I, too. You know, you know, I don't know why. It's just, I really like it. I was excited to hear it live. <laughs> so <laughs> when you're Paul McCartney and you're the Beatles, uh, you can write a song about fixing a fence. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or a <laughs> hole in the roof or, or you know, yeah. a wall. A fence is a exactly. fence is a fence. <laughs> exactly and sometimes that's all it is it's not some weird metaphor or whatever sometimes a fence is literally a fence oh funny people yeah okay it's funny people yeah uh next up is she's leaving home another lennon mccartney uh paul wrote most of it uh, so one of the things about this book is it gives you percentages uh-huh. based on interviews and stuff and in this case she's leaving home mccartney 65 percent, lennon 35 percent. so <laughs> and if memory serves isn't this based off a actual something that happened yeah he read in the newspaper about a girl that ra- that not necessarily ran away from home because she was an adult um but she left without you know speaking to her family she just left a note saying i'm out of here i want you know i'm not happy here i need to find the happiness bye um obviously i'm paraphrasing uh though but it i guess in an interview her father's like we gave her everything and i don't know why she left and it's like that's not a good reason for your kid to be unhappy yeah. Especially if they're an adult and are perfectly legally able to be out on their own. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but um, John did assist in some of the lyrics because he uh, has some experience with parental sacrifice and not being happy and uh, the supposedly some of the phrases were direct quotes from his aunt mimi <laughs> oh boy so um and it, paul said in an interview in 1984 he said my kind of ballad from that period my daughter likes that one one of my daughters likes that <laughs> still <laughs> um and then next up a 100 lennon written song being for the benefit of mr kite mm-hmm. which is if that doesn't scream big top circus i don't know well it is. that's apparently that is literally what it is it it was a poster from a circus from 1843 that john bought Hmm. and essentially took all the text (laughs) from this poster and turned it into a song the lyrics they just write themselves and you got the right pretty much piece of... john, yeah john john said mr kite was a straight yeah mr kite was a straight lift i had all the words start staring me in the face one day when i was looking for a song 
it was from this old poster i bought at an antique shop we'd been down in surrey or somewhere filming a piece there was a break i went into the shop and bought an old poster advertising a variety show which starred mr kite it said the hendersons would also be there late of late of pablo Fancas fair there would be hoops and horses and someone going through a hogshead of real fire then there was Henry the Horse. The band would start at 10 to 6, all at Bishopsgate. Look, there's the bill with Mr. Kite tapping it. I hardly made up a word, just connecting the list together. Word for word, really. And on in Wikipedia, you can see there's a, a, a copy of the poster. And it's exactly. <laughs> so. Grandest night nice. in the se season nice. last night, but three. Being for the benefit of Mr. Kite. Mr. Jay Henderson, the celebrated Somerset thrower. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> and our good old waltzing horse. Mm hmm. Um, the um, sound that kind of sounds like an organ. Mm -hmm. Not an actual organ. John wanted an actual steam organ. Oh, George cool. Martin, yeah, George Martin told him, unfortunately, none existed that could be played by hand. They were all played by punch cards. Kind of like a yeah. player piano with the mm -hmm. paper roll. Uh, so yeah, that George you Martin, up and let go. Yeah, yeah. So what George Martin did is he took tape, literal tape, of old Victorian steam organs, told the engineer to cut them up into small sections about a foot long a piece then he told the engineer to fling them up in the air put them back together again at random and that's what they got wow <laughs> talk about serendipity <laughs> yeah <laughs> so again four tracks you gotta <sighs> do what you gotta do so now you could just go to an actual you know steam organ with really good quality recording equipment record the sound mm -hmm. and take it back and just use it as you will mm -hmm. couldn't do that then uh okay uh next up which would be actually side two of the record because kids we had to flip our music over to get the other flip half. over carefully yep. drop the needle down mm -hmm. and side two starts with within you without you which is a mm -hmm. george harrison penned song as if there was any doubt who wrote this song <laughs> <laughs> yes the influences are showing yeah no, oh, so uh George uh he wrote this after dinner one night at Klaus Vorman's house. Hmm. Um he cool. says Klaus Vorman had a harmonium in his house, which I hadn't played before. I was doodling on it, playing to amuse myself when within you without you started to come. The tune ca tune came initially, and then I got the first line. We were talking, yeah. It came out of what we'd been discussing that evening. So, and actually, George is the only Beatle to appear on this song. 
Neil Aspinall has a credit for playing the tambora. And then there are Indian uh, session musicians um, that they brought in. Um, and um, they actually like laid Indian carpet in the recording studio so that these musicians could like feel like they were back in India. Um, mm -hmm. And um, there is a a sword sword mandel which is a zither like indian instrument which i don't even know what zither like is supposed to mean um a dilruba which is a bowed instrument um and uh several others uh along with actually eight violins and three cellos <laughs> so um a little bit of trivia Stephen stills of Ooh, from crosby, crosby stills mm -hmm. uh, uh was so impressed by the lyrics that he had them carved on a stone monument in his yard wow that's saying a lot, especially for him. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, let's see. Next up is when I'm 64. <laughs> Again, very McCartney, although it is McCartney Lennon. It is 85% McCartney, 15% Lennon. Um, according mm -hmm. to Paul, he actually wrote the tune when he was about 15 or 16 years old uh he was at home playing on the piano um before he moved away from liverpool um and he was like yeah it's kind of a cabaret-ish type tune and he just kind of had it in his back pocket um he just figured you know um yeah maybe he pull it out and use it for something later because at this point you know like the Beatles were not a thing yet um so you know he's had it in the back of his mind um and then years later he when his dad turned 64 is when he added the lyrics <laughs> so most of the lyrics John and then helped with some of the the lyrics um with a few um so um you know and and paul is like you know it's it's supposed to be cheeky you know it's it's tongue-in-cheek mm -hmm. supposed to be fun you know it's like you know when you're with with someone it's like we used to love me when i'm 64 will you still feed me when i'm 64 which i kind of feel like that sometimes with chauncey and i because chauncey's the cook so i'm like are you still going to feed me when i'm 64 are you going to be sick of cooking for me by then <laughs> like i know you'll still love me but will you still feed me or would he be like okay by now you should learn how to cook uh <laughs> it's like here this is how you boil water for mac and cheese yeah, i can do that <laughs> that's about it <laughs> <So>. <laughs> uh, I did not come from. I will make sure the buttons to the microwave are highlighted that you need to push. Yeah, exactly. Hey, if it's got directions and all it requires is putting in the microwave, I can do that. But um, uh, that's about it. 
Um, <laughs> I because this is in print, it's hard to tell if this is supposed to be sarcastic. Knowing John, it probably is. So in the Playboy interview, uh, John Lennon said, "I would never even dream of writing a song like that." <laughs> i'm thinking it's a bit of both <laughs> probably because um, we don't know how how well he and paul were communicating at that time that and they is, were still trying to get get jabs in at each other that is true well the, the playboy interview was like three months before john was killed so okay um so i think they were slightly on the mends by then uh okay. if i remember remember correctly so but that yeah. still doesn't mean that john was not being sarcastic because that's who john lennon is so mm-hmm. <clears throat> fluent in sarcasm mm-hmm. and being a troll uh <laughs> yeah um, before we knew there was such a term <laughs> yep yes <laughs> uh and then um uh another weird obviously mccartney penned song lovely rita uh this is a hundred percent paul um yeah yeah oh um but again it's supposed to be cheeky you know he's he's like Mm -hmm. the song was imagining if somebody was there taking down my number and i suddenly fell for her (laughs) yeah and the per and the kind of person i'd be to fall for a meter maid yeah would would be a shy office clerk and i'd say may i inquire discreetly when you're free to take some tea with me yeah so. <laughs> and, and you charm said read out of a ticket okay <laughs> exactly yeah. so another interesting bit um because <laughs> obviously there's things like piano um mm. and guitar uh in this and drums um but um there's some other there's some other weird sounds in this song if you're listening to it probably mm-hmm. best with with the headphones on and make sure you listen to this in mono not stereo because it totally ruins it um mm-hmm. th- th- this is one of those albums where it's definitely better appreciated listening to mono where you hear like guitar literally in one ear and like piano in the other where it's very yeah. distinctive one is in one ear and one is in the other that's the way it's intended to be heard do not listen to it in stereo anyway uh there's a video linked in i'll have linked to the show notes one of the sound engineers that helped work on it um he even complains about that they released a stereo mix at one point and he's like they ruined it they absolutely ruined it by putting it in stereo and he's totally right um but anyway uh tony king who um would eventually become general manager of apple at least here in america um said (laughs) says one night they were doing lovely rita you know those funny noises on the song well, they were done with combs and paper. George Martin just said to me, would you mind going into uh, some of the other recording sessions and see if you could find anybody who's got a metal comb? 
Then we were all in the bathroom tearing up toilet tissue to make the right sound through the comb. The Beatles had the luxury of being able to spend an hour of their recording time getting the right combs and right strength of toilet tissue. Oh, jeez. Kind of like we would do when we were younger with the brush, the combs and wax paper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> this is why this album took 700 hours to record, people. <laughs> An hour of that was playing with metal combs and toilet paper. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> Moving on to... As we mentioned earlier, the song with the animal sounds, Good Morning, Good Morning, 100% written by John Lennon. John said, I often sit at the piano working on songs with the telly on low in the background. If I'm a bit low and not getting much done, then the words on the telly come through. That's when I heard Good Morning, Good Morning. It was a cornflakes advertisement. <laughs> oh. Uh, uh, Jeff Emmerich, who um, I believe is one of the videos I'll have in the show notes, one of the sound engineers, um, said uh, of the of the animal noises, because <laughs> George Martin is like, yeah, we got the the animal sounds from a, a sound effect disc. Uh, but Jeff Emmerich says John said to me during one of the breaks that he wanted to have the sound of animals escaping. And that each successive animal should be capable of frightening or devouring its predecessor. Mm-hmm. So those are not just random effects. There's actually a lot of thought put into all that. So the next time you listen to that, listen to the order of the animal sounds. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And then George Martin says, imagine my delight when I discovered that the sound of a chicken clucking at the end of Good Morning was remarkably like the guitar sound at the beginning of Sgt. Pepper, the reprise. I was able to cut and mix the two tracks in such a way that one actually turned into the other. It was one of the luckiest edits one could ever get. And it does. You know, you get that cluck mm-hmm. and it goes right into that guitar squeal. Yeah, the, the Sergeant the Pepper reprise. So, mm-hmm. which Paul uses going into the end of his shows mm-hmm. uh, is is the reprise. So, yep, which is makes you kind of sad when you hear him singing because it means the show's right. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it, it, and especially and you know it's like oh that's not the opening Sergeant Pepper that's the end of it. <laughs> Yeah, it's like yeah. Other than the 40th anniversary shows with Metallica, you hear in her Sandman, you know the show's almost over. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but in this case, the album is not over because we have yeah. a day in the life. The yes. almost six minutes concoction <laughs> that is 60-40 Lennon McCartney, mm-hmm. um, where John got the idea again reading the newspaper and saw a story about the heir to the guinness fortune essentially dying in a car crash um that was kind of the headlight headline of the paper at the time because he died in the middle of london uh by speeding through red lights at 110 miles per hour uh in his lotus alon which if you know anything about cars lotuses are sports cars essentially they're meant to go fast um mm-hmm. but probably not meant to go 110 through 
London uh, through red lights. In uh, traffic, yeah. Yeah, because he ended up smashing to the back of a parked van. Died at the age of 21. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, no. And then it found another article elsewhere in the newspaper about the, the potholes in the streets of Blackburn, Lancashire. <laughs> Mm -hmm. or at least i think they're potholes he just says four thousand holes they may not be potholes they may just be holes like sinkholes i don't know random holes in lancashire Mm -hmm. i don't know what was going Mm -hmm. on in lancashire in 1966 but apparently they were having problems with gophers i don't know this caddyshack um (laughs) i don't know that gopher Um, gets around a lot (laughs) yeah i guess um so uh but then paul the bit in the middle about you know get up get out of bed was the start of a song that paul had that he just never completely fleshed out so they just kind of decided to take the two and put them together to kind of have this bigger epic song um but (laughs) you know like Paul was going, you know, goo goo gaga over like, okay, we need to do this for the album cover and, uh, you know, coming up with all these ideas when it came to this song. John was the one that kind of took over with a little bit of Paul's help. Um, if you've ever seen, I have it again linked in the show notes, there's a trailer for this album, uh, like a promotional trailer. Um, and you can see there's some video of them recording this song with the orchestra. And you can see that the orchestra, they're all in their formal orchestra wear, you know, tuxedos. But then they've got on like funny masks, like clown noses and weird other things. They gave them like props to go with it. So I get, I think so they wouldn't take it so seriously. Um, because um uh there's an interview with george martin again linked in the show notes i think um where um or maybe it's one of the other engineers um where they they bring in the uh paul wanted a full symphony orchestra (laughs) oh boy george martin was like no um (laughs) so they compromised on a smaller 41 piece orchestra <laughs> you know <laughs> still that much of a downsize <laughs> yeah but um the bit uh right before you hear the alarm clock and go to paul's bit is this kind of build-up crescendo type thing of the orchestra mm-hmm. you know playing their instruments and george martin god bless him um because the guys in the Beatles didn't really read or write music, George Martin could, so he was kind of their arranger yeah. and could do and do stuff for instruments that they weren't familiar with, you know, things like you know, violins, uh, in mm-hmm. orchestra. They needed somebody who could actually read and write music. George Martin was their man, so John's trying to explain to George Martin what he wants uh, and his his best explanation was a sound like the end of the world <laughs> <laughs> is what he wanted it building up to 
<laughs> and and poor, George it, Martin, yeah. poor George Martin is going to these the this 41 piece wow. orchestra saying, okay, you know, you, you all know your instruments, you know what your instruments are capable of as far as notes and scales and stuff. Mm -hmm. So we need you to go from here to here in 24 bars. And the orchestra people were just not getting there to like, can you write it down? Can you score it for us? They're <laughs> like, no, because we want you, they wanted them essentially to riff. But that's not something have to be organic. Really, yeah, that's not really something you do on classical instruments. You don't really riff no. on a French you can't horn. Have a jam <laughs> you can't have a jam session. <laughs> no, exactly. it doesn't work so well. Yeah. So poor George Martin is like, no, you just, you get 24 bars. You, you start about here and do whatever you want. Yeah, fast or slow, you know, skip notes, whatever. As long as you're here by the end of those 24 bars and this poor orchestra, which was pretty much middle-aged people were just mm -hmm. not getting it <laughs> at all. Oh. So what George Martin actually had to do was, and again, this is out of Beatles songs. This is from George Martin. That climax was something else again. When I did, there was what I did there was to write at the beginning of the 24 bars the lowest possible note for each of the instruments in the orchestra. At the end of the 24 bars, I wrote the highest note each instrument could reach that was near a chord of E major. Then I put a squiggly line right through the 24 bars with reference points to tell them roughly what note they should have reached during each bar. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh uh and then well, of course I'm... you've got you've got um you hear um mal evans who worked with the band counting you can hear yes. him in the track which mm -hmm. was accidental and then the alarm clock was accidental as well because the it was just supposed to help time it but they couldn't get it turned yep. off mm -hmm. but considering the I... first line after that is got up jumped out of bed the bed it, actually it works. works it works well because i think even too yeah. in the anthology they have some of the outtakes of a yeah. day in the life and you can hear more strongly the counting and the alarm clock yes if memory serves yeah yeah, and, and there's one outtake where I think I don't know what Paul, what happened, and Paul's like, got up, jumped out of bed, you know. Like for some reason, he screams the word bed. <laughs> Who scared him? Who scared I don't him? No, I don't know. If somebody came up and goosed him at that time or what? But my buddy's on John. My buddy's yeah, on John. Probably knowing no him. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's. It's just the whole thing is just uh yeah the song is just kind of yeah this crazy you know mix of things that just kind of work and then mm -hmm. um taking advantage of the fact that at the time it was records um there is at the very end of day in the life and this again it depends because i don't think they did this on every pressing of the records i think again it was in early pressings there is a short very short note or sound 
that cannot be mm-hmm. heard by human ears can only be heard by dogs huh interesting yeah and then obviously if you if, if whether you got it on record or cd or listening on spotify or wherever thank goodness they kept they've kept this intact throughout the years even once we've moved to digital but if you leave the song going after the very long final piano note that lasts depending on who you ask almost a minute um mm-hmm. you, you kind of get this weird it sounds kind of like john's voice with some other weird noises with a voice mm-hmm. sounding saying something like never could see other way never could see another way you know mm-hmm. re- repeating and that's because mm-hmm. they were like okay so if you've got a record player that doesn't automatically stop at the end of it automatically doesn't turn itself off mm-hmm. they're like it would be hilarious if people were listening just kept the record playing thinking you know <laughs> oh the record's end? over one of us will get up in a moment and change it to a new record wouldn't it be hilarious if they're if the song ended there's a little bit of silence and then bam some extra mm-hmm. stuff right at the end just to freak everybody <laughs> out because they thought the record was over <laughs> like end credits before end credits were a thing a little bit yeah kind of Mm -hmm. it's kind of it's kind of a an end credit thing so yep you nailed it (laughs) yeah so but that's uh that's the end of sergeant first lonely hearts club bands yep and this one's been there's been pastiches they did um ninja whatever did a spoof with the new hope a la mm-hmm. sergeant peppers which is completely awesome and then if you are looking for a cover of the album from beginning to end cheap trick actually did sergeant peppers it mm-hmm. is very worth the listen if you haven't mm-hmm. so they were nervous doing it but they pulled it off yeah and then of course there is the uh not exactly the same, but the soundtrack to the Sergeant Pepper movie yes. starring the Bee Gees mm-hmm. and Peter Frampton. Yes. And, 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 and we're going to have to discuss Burns? at some point. <laughs> yes. And a certain <laughs> Mr. George Burns, too, if memory serves. Yes. And Steve Martin and Aerosmith and Alice Cooper yes. and yep. Earth, Wind, and Fire, along others. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, yes. Yeah. Which is, again, yeah. an acid trip. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah so it was done <laughs> it's a thing that happened in 1978 yes, uh, <laughs> yes. so uh, but it's not there are several of the songs from the sergeant pepper album that appear in the movie and therefore on the soundtrack but it is mm-hmm. also got other Beatles yeah. songs from other albums on there too mm-hmm. there's stuff from abbey road and all sorts of things so yeah um but the movie's so weird (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, i i agree rachel i agree yeah yeah this it's definitely one of those where like it bond at the time i don't know how much of a like cult following it has now i don't think it's gone quite the way of like 
Rocky Horror or something like that. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I enjoyed it, but I, I, anytime yeah. I can hear Beatles music, I'm always a, you know, <laughs> a thing. What's interesting is, yeah. like I said at the beginning of this, a lot of people consider this the greatest Beatles album of their entire catalog. A lot of mm-hmm. people considered this one of the greatest albums of all time. And it time. was voted as such a couple of times in like the mid 70s and again in the mid 80s by some magazine that's not Rolling Stone, but something like that. Um, yeah. um, but um, if you ask the Beatles, um, at least by the time that this this particular book I've been referencing was printed, John didn't really care for this album. Hmm. Neither does Ringo. Huh. Yeah. Somehow it doesn't surprise me that John didn't. Like, he recognized I... that it was it was a, a high point as far as his collaboration with Paul and for the Beatles as a whole. But the production of this made it sour in his mind. Um, and he doesn't think the whole that the idea of this being a concept album really fits because he doesn't think it's cohesive enough. Ringo really doesn't care for it because he didn't really have a whole lot to do. True. Mm. He said that his grit best one of his best memories from recording this album was the fact that he learned how to play chess. <laughs> wow yep so <laughs> that being said other people mm-hmm. really really love it um like uh david crosby uh in 1970 i believe in rolling stone i think that's what rs is supposed to be in here uh yeah. 1970 um david crosby said somehow sergeant pepper did not stop the vietnam war somehow it didn't work somebody isn't listening i would have thought sergeant pepper could have stopped the war just by putting too many good vibes in the air for anybody to have a war around (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah that's david crosby for you though too yeah (laughs) it was that easy yeah and then john john sebastian of the love and spoonful said um it was like throwing down a hat in the center of a ring it was a tremendous challenge it seemed like an almost insurmountable task to come up with anything even in the same ballpark mm-hmm. and then michelle phillips of the mamas and the papas said sergeant pepper was what we listened to for the next days and weeks that record played over and over again it was the theme of the people working for the monterey pop festival that's surprising. Although apparently Bob Dylan reportedly growled, turn that off when somebody played him. <laughs> uh, not surprised. No. Mm-mm. Not surprised. Uh, so. Oh my goodness. Anyway. That mm-hmm. is Sergeant Pepper 55 years ago. Later this week. Yep. Shall go down in infamy. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It's uh, I, fun I doing I, these I, Beatles I, albums. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would think now Ringo probably looks on it maybe a bit more Ooh, fondly. He, I would like to help yeah. the time. I, yeah. I think so. But uh, yeah. Oh. And then, yeah. Obviously, you know, one way or another, um, Paul has no problem with it because he does several of the songs live. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. <laughs> which ones I will hear next week to be determined, yes. but at least <laughs> one or two, I am sure. Yes. So. Oh, yes. Among others. Yes. I'm very excited. I mean, yep. I mean, Paul, he's got the Between the Beatles catalog and his own back catalog with Wings yeah. and Solo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. With, so uh, there's a lot. Yeah. So excited. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts? Final thoughts on Salt and Pepper? If you haven't listened to it, do yourself a favor. Get yourself, like Rachel said, find track down the mono copy and mm-hmm. listen to it. I Thankfully, know they on re- the version I've been listening those... to on oh, Spotify oh. is remastered from I think two thousand nine. Yeah, right. remastered two thousand nine. It is mono, so right on Spotify because I know they did some. I know they did a re-release with everything in stereo, but then I think they also made sure that they had the mono. Yes. Because that's how I grew up listening to it was mono. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the way it was mixed, you know, because mm-hmm. they everything, they, stereo was not a thing, so they mixed it, everything in a way that it would still sound pleasant to the ears even though you mm-hmm. could not do it in in stereo so um but you know it's just one of those things where yeah like i said it if you're just listening to it coming out of like your car stereo and you don't have headphones on your brain kind of does the stereo mix for you yeah mm-hmm. i think yep um but yeah. when you have headphones on and you're listening to something and you're like i hear piano just in my right ear and i hear i miss the other stuff just in my left ear it's like <laughs> that's you know that there may be not with you know i mean headphones were a thing by then i mean even record players you yep. need to have headphones and plug them in um mm-hmm. so but you know that's that's the way it's meant to be heard <laughs> so as wild yep. as it is sometimes to be listening and be like i'm only hearing a you know an instrument in one ear and then a different instrument in the other ear that it doesn't matter it it ta- you'll get used to mm-hmm. it eventually yeah mm-hmm. we're so we're everything's in stereo now so you know our brains are like when we don't hear something in stereo it's like wait that's not correct but no that is correct at least with the beatles stuff yeah, that's the way it's that's the way it's meant to be listened to. Yes, in my humble opinion, <laughs> I agree with you. I agree with you. Oh, so anything else anyone wants to say? 
Looking forward to the next Beatle album that we're going to be talking somewhere down mm. the line. <laughs> All right. But it's just Magical Mystery <laughs> Tour isn't that bad. No, it's not. No, it's not. You know, it's 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 a it's a thing that that, that happened. Yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. yeah. We've been down this road, you know, with Queen. So, yep. Yep. You know. yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was gonna yeah, say exactly. we we reviewed Hot yep. Space and yeah. Yes. Okay. Yep. It, 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 yes. It's kind of like Hot Space for the Beatles. Space. You know. Beatles. Yeah. Well, just like okay, Sergeant Pepper's Queen had the Night at the Opera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, but we'll, right. we'll get the Magical Mystery Tour later this this year. So. Yay. So anyway, well, if our any of our listeners want to. uh chime in on their thoughts with the sergeant pepper or any of this other stuff that we've talked about you can email us at uh fiveishfangirls at gmail.com send us some feedback you can also um, check us out on all our social media and links to that is at our website which is the fiveishfangirls.com you can also find uh ways to support our podcast uh through patreon and our merch shop and a couple other things we've got Again, that's all on our website. And we've added new designs to them. Yes. So check those out. I was on a designing binge like last week. And I I churned out several new designs. Our new logo is up there. So if you want yes. stuff, I, in fact, I ordered a shirt with the new logo for PopCon. So yay. Cool. Nice. Um, and then... Uh, at least one other new five-ish fangirls design on there and then there's also some designs for gold standard too nice. so, so if you want to get some gold standard merch as mm-hmm. well there's several designs that i'm actually quite proud of that's cool. Yay. that are up there as well so if you want to re- and i bought a gold standard shirt too so she's going to be representing all over the place represent <laughs> uh, yeah. so uh uh just just you know as a as an addendum here the uh thor love and thunder trailer just dropped about like oh, 20 geez. minutes ago of course it did <laughs> of course it did so it did. Uh, what is what is that helmet okay sorry i'm, I'm looking at i don't have i don't have sound i'm just watching somebody's it. watching it. yep <laughs> Yeah, I will so, wait until we're done. I will wait until we're done. I will, okay, we're done. okay. Well, we better wrap up. So we will have it in the news next week because we yes, want to yes, take a reactions. look at it and and comment on it. So yes. anyway, so there we go. But we didn't forget about it. We just it dropped while we were recording. Yeah, anyway, which we yeah. knew was going to happen. We did. Happen. Yeah, yeah. We just didn't know when. <laughs> anyway, so we'll check that out. Ooh, that's a okay. I better. <laughs> anyway all right finish the show i'm finishing the show i was watching for it because i thought well maybe but no all right let's finish the show all right all right yeah so we're all okay we need to go so we can all hit youtube okay signing off for this week This is Brittany and Belgo saying goodnight. This is Chrissy saying goodnight from Salt Lake City. This is Sally from Wisconsin saying good evening. And this is Rachel in Indianapolis, Indiana. And unlike Neil Gaiman, 
I will definitely have pictures and video from Paul McCartney. So go follow me on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> to the Five-ish Fangirls podcast. You can find more episodes and information at thefiveishfangirls.com. Any and all books, movies, games, and any other forms of media mentioned are owned and operated by the respective copyright holders. No copyright infringement is intended or implied. If you wish to support the show, the easiest way is to leave us a rating and review. More ratings and reviews will make it easier for others to find the show. If you wish to support us monetarily, you can do so at patreon.com slash fiveishfangirlspodcast. All money goes towards fees and equipment to keep the show going. For official Fiveish Fangirls merchandise, visit redbubble.com slash people slash fiveishfangirls. We love hearing from our listeners and encourage feedback. You can email us at fiveishfangirls at gmail.com. You can also like and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fiveishfangirls. Thank you so much for listening, and may the squee be with you.